Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Chapter 24, verse 44. So the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 44. For the next few weeks, we are going to continue our series on Epiphany. Epiphany means revealing, revealing. And there are two crucial epiphanies or two revealings in the Christian life. The first is the epiphany of Jesus himself, how Jesus reveals himself to the world. The second is the epiphany of the church, how the church reveals Jesus to the world. There's this Second revealing has been called the Missio Dei or the mission of God. It's a Latin phrase for the mission of God. Now notice it's the mission of God. And that is on purpose. As I've shared week in and week out, I love how Christopher Wright puts it. God does not have a mission for his church. No, he has a church for his mission. Do you see his mission? His mission exists And therefore, he has a church. Uh, The reason there is a church at all is to take part in the mission of God, to redeem and rescue all that has been broken by our sin. The reason there is a church at all is to take part in this amazing epiphany of Jesus to the world. We exist to reveal the real Jesus to the world. We've been exploring key texts in the Bible that highlight God's mission. And this morning we're going to look at Luke's gospel. And Luke is actually a living testimony of epiphany. He is a living testimony to the mission of God because he is a non-Jewish Gentile. He's a non-Jewish Gentile actually writing to a man named Theophilus who himself is a non-Jewish Gentile. Somebody told them, Luke and Theophilus, that Jesus is for them. That Jesus is for all nations and for all ethnicities. And whoever that person was, that person who shared that epiphany with Luke, with Theophilus, that person was on God's mission. And Luke wants us to be on God's mission as well. And so I just want to read verse 44 through 49. You can follow along as I read aloud. We'll pray to ask God to speak to us this morning. Starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, that's Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead 
and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening. And Holy Spirit, we need your empowering presence now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, about 20 years ago, I was a missionary uh, in southern France for just one week. And I went with a college group uh, during a spring break to share Jesus with, with students at a university in Aix-en-Provence, France. Um, and looking back now, 20 years later, it is clear to me that I enjoyed going to southern France with my Christian friends. <laughs> I did not as much enjoy going to southern France to share Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I was not opposed, of course, I was not opposed to the idea of sharing Jesus, and I did share Jesus with folks uh, in southern France. But when it came down to it, I wanted to hang out at the cafes and the museums with my friends. I wanted to drink espresso and read. I wanted to be a missionary to southern France just on my terms. It was my mission, not God's. Now, I know I'm not alone here. I've talked to many Christians over the years that love Jesus, but they're not crazy about talking about Jesus to other people. In other words, I think we all want the south of France without the mission. (laughs) We all want the blessings of God without the call to bless others. We all want the salvation of God without telling others about that same salvation that we rest in. This is a struggle. And this struggle, frankly, is not new. It's perennial. In fact, the folks who walked and talked with Jesus, the folks who like know Jesus's eye color and the folks who know his accent, like the disciples, the disciples themselves struggled here too. I just want you to notice a few verses before our passage that we just read. Jesus tells his disciples Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? The disciples are doubting Jesus, even as they look at the risen Jesus. Earlier, they were sharing resurrection stories. If you look at verse 36, as they were talking about these things, what were they talking about? These things mean they were talking about the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And so they were talking about and sharing. Can you imagine being in the room sharing resurrection stories? Did you hear Jesus is alive? Jesus is alive. And then according to verse 34, they actually believed these things. So they were believing in the resurrection of Jesus. And then they see the resurrected Jesus. And yet doubts still arise in their hearts. And then in our passage, Jesus sends the disciples out. The resurrected Jesus sends the disciples out uh, to, to tell the world. But first, he says, you must wait. Why? Why must you wait? Well, the text says, wait for the promise from the Father. The promise of the Father is what? The promise of the Father is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. 
where the disciples will be empowered to tell others about Jesus. So what this means is, and what this implies, is that telling telling other people about Jesus is not just hard, it's impossible. It's impossible. We need, and they needed, God's empowerment. They needed God the Spirit Himself to open their mouths to talk about Jesus. We need God to do this. So that that says by itself this is hard. And then in Acts chapter 1, these same disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven, but they've got heavy feet. So that two angels have to say, why do you stand looking into heaven? In other words, they're saying, don't just stand there. Don't just marvel at Jesus. Don't just, uh, uh, just, don't just worship Jesus, but tell others about Jesus too. Why are you looking up into heaven? Look down where, where, where your neighbors live, where your friends are. Don't just enjoy the sermon. Don't just enjoy the good teaching. Don't just enjoy the worship service. Don't, don't just immerse yourself in spiritual resources that Jesus gives you, but tell others about this same Jesus. If we have trouble telling others about Jesus, we are not alone. But here's the thing. Jesus loves us even in our hesitance. That's his grace to us. But he also loves us out of our hesitance. And that too is his grace to us. He wants us to move into mission. And we see this in our passage. I see Jesus giving two crucial things to his hesitant disciples. And so I see Jesus giving us two crucial things to move into the mission of God on God's terms, not ours. What are those two things? Well, Jesus first must open our minds and second, he must open our mouths. I see both in this passage. I want to show it to you. First, Jesus opens our minds. Uh, Look again at verse 44. Verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus is opening their minds into three things. First, to the scriptures. Verse 45 says that we essentially need Jesus to understand the Bible. Without Jesus opening our minds supernaturally to the Bible, we can become world-renowned scholars of the Bible. We can win Bible trivia championships, which those exist, by the way. Um, We can even be preachers and teachers of the Bible, but we will not truly understand them without Jesus. There's a line in Matthew that always challenges me. Uh, In chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus says to the religious elite of his day, he says, quote, you are wrong. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. These men knew their Bibles. They knew the scriptures, but in a very important sense, Jesus says they do not. They do not. Those were the Sadducees. But even Jesus' own disciples struggled to receive and even understand the word of God. Look at Luke 
or you can listen even to Luke chapter 9, verse 45, where Jesus foretells his death. And Luke says, quote, but the disciples did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And then this happens again in Luke 18, where it says in verse 34, but they, the disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, it says, and they did not grasp what was said. What did they need? They needed Jesus to open their minds. And we do too. I mean, do you guys realize that when we read the Bible, we are reading something that is living and active. When we open the Bible, this is God's speech. God who is alive. That means the scriptures are relational. The scriptures are a covenant document. A covenant is a relationship. A relationship between two parties. And this is a covenant document. This is a living word. This is a relational text. And in our sin, and in our self-bent, we will come to this living word, this relational text, with a closed mind. Just like we do in our relationships with other people. It's been said that when you listen, you should listen to learn, not listen to defend. And that's great advice. So often we come to the scriptures the same way, don't we? We come and we do not listen to the scriptures. We don't listen to learn. We listen to defend. We listen to reinforce. We don't listen to learn. We don't listen to submit. We don't listen to, uh, to worship. And so what we need is we need Jesus to open our minds. Really, the text says we need Jesus to open our closed minds clenched minds. And this is, by the way, why I pray every single sermon before the, before the sermon begins. I pray for the Holy Spirit and His empowering presence and that, that, that God would open our minds and our hearts. That word open is important. And we need Jesus to do it. So we need Jesus to open our minds to the scriptures. Jesus also opens our minds to not just the scriptures, but specifically the hero of the scriptures. And that's what Jesus does in this passage. Take another look. Verse 44. Everything written about me, Jesus says, in what? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he, then it says, of course, that he opened his minds to the scriptures and then he says, thus it is written. Thus it is written. So, so he goes to the scriptures, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, to the, to the prophets and to the Psalms. And he says, here it is written. Here it is that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Where? To the whole world, to the, all the nations, beginning here in Jerusalem. The Bible that Jesus read and that all the disciples read, what we call the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus. See, the Bible, quick quick word on the Bible here. The Bible is the true story of the world. It's God's speech. It's God's covenant document for his people. And even though the Bible has laws in it as a gift from God himself, that is not the main feature of the Bible. The main feature of the Bible, the overarching scope of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, is 
the outworking, the redemptive activity of God. Some have put it, the story of God's redeeming grace. It's a story of rescue. It's a secret rescue mission. And when Jesus comes, it's no longer a secret. It's been said by others, the Bible is not a book of rules with stories sprinkled into it to illustrate the rules like most religious books. But the Bible is a story of rescue with rules sprinkled in. These rules find their place in the larger story. They are ways that we can uh, react and respond to God's mercy. Uh, we are rescued and then we, f- the, and then we are given life-giving pathways from God himself. That's, that happens at the Exodus. God rescues his people and then the law comes. You know, if, if we read God to be, uh, if we read um, kind of our religious mindset into the Bible, then we would rewrite the Bible. We would say, um, God gave the law before he rescued Israel. He, he gave the law and said, obey this law. And if you do it well, then I will rescue you. But it's the other way around. God rescues Israel and then he gives the law as a gift. Here's a life-giving pathway for my people. That Jesus says ultimately points to Jesus. He is the hero of this story. Jesus tells us so. And we need Jesus to open our minds to this truth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. If you're doing the read the Bible in a year, um, we're in February, so you're probably hitting um, Leviticus right now. Uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the prophets, the Psalms are all unfulfilled without Jesus. That's what he says here. They all point to the life of Jesus. They all point to the resurrection of Jesus. They all point to the cross of Jesus. So for instance, I was just reading Psalm 22 the other morning. Psalm 22 describes an execution. But this devotional I was reading pointed out that the author, David, was never executed. And so it has presented a problem to solve by many scholars of the Bible. But we know that it is what Jesus quotes while hanging on the cross, while being executed. And so one author says, reading Psalm 22 as a Christian is like standing on holy ground. Because it gives us access into what Jesus was thinking on the cross. See, Jesus must open our minds, not just to the scriptures, but to the hero of scriptures. All of it points to him. All of it. And he must open our minds to this. As you know, the hacks recently welcomed our dog, Dewey, into our life. Dewey is a puppy. And if you've ever had a puppy you know that everything in the world, and I mean everything, is explored by the puppy's mouth. You know this. This is the truth. You know the expression, when you're a hammer, everything is a nail? Well, I have a new one. When you're a puppy, everything is a a chew toy. Everything. Everything is a chew toy. And this is a cute, cute thing until Dewey, or your puppy, decides to chew something poisonous. Uh, But here's the thing. Puppies don't care. Puppies don't care if it's poisonous or not. Okay? They just don't care. They don't discern. 
Um, they lock their jaw down. They lock their jaw down on sharp things. They lock their jaw down on poisonous things. Uh, and that's just what they're going to do. And the more you try to pry their mouth open or to get that out, what happens? The harder they clamp down. This is how our minds work without Jesus, friends. We close our minds onto harmful ideas, onto poisonous lies. We will read the Bible uh, this way as well. Unless Jesus opens our mind with his jaws of life. Not so that we would be so open-minded that we would believe anything, but so that we could close our minds by the grace of Jesus on nutritious, life-giving truths. G.K. Chesterton once said, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. And that's what Jesus does here. He opens our minds to shut it again on something solid, himself. In order for us to tell others about Jesus, we need our minds to be opened to him. We need to see his beauty and his grace in his power, in his mercy, in the story of Scripture. We need to see it on every page, and we need to ask Jesus today to open our minds afresh to this. Jesus must open our minds, but he must also open our mouths. We need Jesus to open our mouths. There's this really amazing morning prayer in some Christian traditions that goes like this. Open my lips, Lord, in my mouth will declare your praise. I love this prayer, and I recommend it to you. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's a humble prayer because we're acknowledging that we need God himself to open our lips so that we can declare the praise of Jesus. For us to tell others about Jesus, we need Jesus to open our mouths. And he promises us uh, to do this in our text with two sendings. The first sending is by sending us. By sending us. Not just to bless others with our actions, but to speak about Jesus with our words. Look at verse 46. Jesus said to them, it's written that Jesus should suffer and the third day rise from the dead. And then here, verse 47, and that repentance uh, for sins, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. To all nations. You are witnesses of these things, talking about his death and resurrection. You are to simply talk to others about what you saw. And then he says, And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. And so stay until you receive that power from on high. Jesus says the story of Scripture has its climax in his life, death, and resurrection. But listen, he is saying it's not over yet. There is something yet to remain. The proclamation of the forgiveness and repentance in Jesus' name must go forth to all nations. Which means that there is no place for ethnocentrism in God's kingdom. And all along, this has been God's plan. The prophet... The prophet Habakkuk says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How, 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 much, how much of the earth is going to be covered? As much as the water covers the sea. 
Jesus must go forth to all nations. Christ suffered and died. Christ was raised. But the proclamation of what that means, repentance and forgiveness of sins, is still to be fully accomplished. And that's where the church steps in. We are called to cross-cultural mission, not cultural imperialism, but cross-cultural mission, which takes the transcultural message of Jesus to all of the world. This message is the repentance and forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name. Jesus sends us to do this. And we need to give attention to it. This is Jesus sending us. And in and, and baseball, you get called up when you're um, uh, in the minor leagues. And you get called up to play in the, uh, on the major league roster. And this is a big moment. A moment every minor league player has dreamt of since a kid. Uh, same is true in theater or dance or music. You're called up to take part in the production. And what do you do? You celebrate this. You, you are excited about this. You're actually like, oh my gosh, here, this is an amazing opportunity. Well, and there's a proper pride that gets attached to being called up. Well, Jesus is calling you up today. That's what he's doing. And guess what? The angels themselves are like fans in the stands watching. Peter says to us in 1 Peter, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about. When they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, they wondered, the angels wondered, what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when they told them in advance, to the prophets, sorry, uh, about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. They were told that the messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you and by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. There's a beautiful moment in world soccer when the team uh, is about to score a goal. Maybe you've uh, been watching a game or been a part of a of the live stands when this happens. The, the whole crowd leans forward and the sound just starts to swell. This happens not just in world soccer, it happens in football, it happens in every uh, sporting event where there's a large crowd. Well, that's what the angels are doing right now. They're leaning in. The sound is swelling and they're looking on at who? They're looking at you. They're looking at me. They're looking at Hope Church. They're looking at the church. They're looking at the global underground. They're looking at the church because we get to take part in what God is doing with the gospel. This is an amazing, amazing thing. But that's not all Jesus sends. He also sends the Spirit. And this is important because it tells us that, uh, that, that we are not called to a human mission. But we are called to God's mission, which means that we will fail without God's power. So look at verse 48. You are witnesses of of me, of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. The promise of my Father is Joel 2, 28 and following, where the Spirit is poured out on men and women to carry forth the mission of God, the mission of, uh, of, of God. And Jesus says, wait for this, wait for this. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Why? Because he knew if the disciples went out on their own power, it would fail. 
Think about that for a moment. Just think about that. I mean, I would assume Jesus would be like, if you go ahead and go out and talk about me um, a little bit early before the spirit comes, that's fine because, you know, you know, you're just sort of practicing and that'll be okay. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, wait, wait, please wait for the spirit to empower you. Just think about that. If Jesus depended on the spirit in his ministry, how much more must we? Just look at chapter 4 in in the Gospel of Luke alone. Chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. Verse 18, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Friends, I don't know how else to say it, but if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not on God's mission. But Jesus is generous. And he sends it to everyone who believes. When many of you listening in went to the New River Gorge uh, with the church, we spent a lot of time uh, making sure that we were properly equipped. And that's Jesus here. Before he sends us, he equips us. I love his quote from the fourth century church leader, John Chrysostom. He says, as a general does not permit his soldiers who are about to confront a large number of enemies to go out until they are properly equipped. So also the Lord does not permit his disciples to go forth to the conflict before the descent of the spirit. Jesus gives us everything we need to go forth. He opens our minds. He opens our mouths. He pours out the spirit. So practically, what could this look like for you? What could this look like for you um, as you think about what it would look like to be on God's mission in your life? Well, I want to offer three simple things. First is just pray a simple prayer. We overcomplicate this sometimes. You could pray, Lord, empower me with your spirit to be on mission today. If you're having a conversation with a friend or a neighbor or a colleague, you can say a silent prayer. Lord, empower me now by your spirit to speak of your son, Jesus. Simple prayer. This is an empowered mission. It's not a, it's not a, a mission that is fueled by our own strength, our own mental savvy, our own tact with our words. It's not fueled by that stuff. God certainly uses that stuff, but that's not the fuel. The fuel is the spirit. So pray for the spirit. Pray for that empowerment, and he will give it to you. And then share your experience. Share your experience with your friends and neighbors. That's, that's, frankly, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples to do when he says witness. You will, you will be witnesses. What is a witness? A witness just simply says, I saw that happen, and this is how it impacted me. And look, those are the first witnesses, but we are sort of a second Uh, secondary uh, witness in the sense that we get to uh, witness to the risen Jesus in our life. We simply tell others about how the risen Jesus changes our lives. That's it. Jesus is alive. He's not a theory. He's not a theology uh, proposition. He is real. 
He is real and he is in relationship and we are in relationship to him. All we do is we tell others about that relationship. We bear witness to how the resurrected Jesus has in some mundane way changed our life. This doesn't have to be extravagant or attention seeking. It can be completely normal. Share your experience. And then leave it up to God. The Spirit is before you. The Spirit goes with you. And the Spirit will do His work without you. (laughs) So just say a prayer. Share your experience. And then leave it up to God. Lord, we do pray that you would empower us to be on your mission. That we could take part in this awesome task of telling others about the forgiveness of sins. (laughs) The the absolution, the absolute amazing freedom that comes knowing that God of the universe loves us and that our sins are forgiven. The opportunity for repentance, turning from false idols that do not satisfy and enslave to drink of the living water to life abundance that is an awesome task we cannot do it on our own and we are thankful that you send the spirit to every believer to empower us to do it what an amazing privilege to be on your mission thank you for entrusting us to it You are so kind and generous. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.